a new chapter this morning, Romans 8. I was kind of standing there listening to the songs and about the faithfulness of God and about our past of being broken and pouring ourselves out before the Lord. And I'm thinking, I don't know when Chris set these songs, but he apparently had a copy of my message. The only thing was, this wasn't finished until Thursday, and I know they practice Wednesday, and uh, nobody's seen this message but me, so I don't know, but kind of everything just kind of fits what we'll be talking about today. You're in Romans 8. Normally, I'm going to let you kind of warm up in an introduction before I, I jump into having you write something. Not this morning. We're jumping right into that first note. Uh, and then a little bit, we'll be reading our passage. It's a, it's a short passage to read this morning, but I'm jumping right into the first note because we need to tie last week and this week together. You ready? Here comes. One of the major lessons of Romans 7, so I want you to hear it first. Am I, is this true or not? Don't just, that's true. Jeff says it's true. Is this true? If you were here last week and as we move forward... Is this true? A major lesson of chapter 7 was that even the best of Christians, and I kind of hesitate saying that because who's the best Christian you know? The best Christian you know. Maybe somebody comes into your mind and you're like, well, I know them and that's the best Christian I know. It's really hard to tell because you can't see our hearts. You know, all we see is the externals and we see the action. They're doing all these things for the Lord. And I just don't see a lot of sin outwardly. But we don't see the heart. So we can't really gauge that. But here's what I do know. Even the best of Christians, as proven in Romans 7, still struggles with sin. No matter who they are. Hey, if even Paul, who I believe the end of chapter 7 was talking about his personal life, and he kind of pulled back and and opened up and says, here's what I look like, and it isn't as pretty as you think it is. I don't do, I don't always do the things I want to do, and sometimes I do the very things that I hate. And he gave us that battle that was going on. If you need to, go back and listen to that message. That was verses 14 to 25. But we're moving ahead. Ready? A major lesson of chapter 8 is that even... The weakest of saints is free from the penalty of sin. So as we have that note on the screen, put that all together. I want you to feel that. Before I just rush on to my next thought, I want you to really feel that. Chapter 7, the best of Christians still struggles with sin. But chapter 8, even the weakest, and I mean by the weakest, the one that frankly, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised. You were a Christian? Yeah. When did you put your faith in Christ? I mean the weakest guys. I mean the one. You see sin in their life and you don't know that they've done anything for the Lord. Now if you read this note and think Jeff is promoting the second part as wonderful lifestyle. No I'm not. I'm just telling you a truth of what putting Romans 7 and 8 together is. Even the weakest, the one that we don't think is a Christian. And we're shocked when we get there pleasantly. We're going to find out they all along were protected from the penalty of sin. They were free of it. In a moment, I'm going to read the text. If you have your Bible open, that's the best case scenario. If you don't, maybe you've got it on your phone or an iPad or something. If you don't, we will have the words on the screen. But uh, before we read the whole text, would you look at the first three words of verse 1? Because I need to point out the third word. There is therefore, therefore, this is key. Usually when we see the word therefore, you guys have learned, you've heard theologians and preachers and teachers say this. You see therefore, you want to back up. What in the world is this therefore? He's making a conclusion based off of something. Most everyone you read, when they approach this verse, catch this, this is important. We're making a major shift, not a major shift, but a natural conclusion as we start chapter 8. When he says there is therefore, he's not saying just based off of the end of chapter 7, those last few verses. Because that's kind of a rough transition. What he's really doing, guys, is he's saying, based on chapter 1 through 7, all we've talked about there, therefore we need to talk about these other two things. And chapter 8 is, by some accounts, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture in a lot of people's book. There is, therefore, what's Paul doing? Let's recap very quickly. 
First three chapters of Romans, Paul made it very clear. All of us are sinful. Catch this. We're so sinful. Somebody needs to hear this today. We're so sinful, the only way to to get salvation is it has to be by grace. It has to be by grace. Say, what is grace? Remind, grace is where God gives gifts. We just sang about mercy. Mercy is you not getting what you've earned because of your sin. Grace is God giving you something good that you haven't earned. All right? Salvation, eternal life, it has to be by grace. Has to, because we're so sinful. Has to be by grace alone, catch this, through faith alone. It has to be through faith alone. How do I get this grace? You just have to receive it. Well, listen, you do have to receive it. I received it at nine years old. When did you receive it? You have to receive it. But it has to be by grace. And I'm going to tell you, God's grace is greater even than your faith receiving it. His grace is more important, but your faith must receive it. Now, based on that, you know what Paul says? Therefore, since justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, that's why there is therefore now no condemnation. That's why there's no condemnation. It's by grace through faith, not you working for it. That's why there's no condemnation. So with that in mind... Let's read our text this morning, the first four verses. Really, again, summarizing, bring to a conclusion the whole book thus far. Verse 1, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation. No condemnation. Oh, for everybody. Everybody's on their way to heaven. No, 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 no. There's no condemnation for a select group. For those who are in Christ Christ. Jesus. For those in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. How's that possible? Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This law sets you free from this law. How's that possible? God just making the rules up as he goes along, I guess. No, he actually does something. Verses 3 and 4 bring that out. For God has done. I don't know if you figured this out yet in our songs. You should have already figured it out. Man, everything they're singing about is about God. It's not about... Everything in the songs are about us not looking so good and Him doing all that needs to be done. Yes. For God has done what the law, the Old Testament law of Moses, weakened by the flesh, our flesh, God has done what the law could not do. How? Two things. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. By doing that, the Bible says he condemned sin. So we're talking about condemnation. Who's condemned? Mankind's condemned, but through Christ being a sin offering, God condemned sin in the flesh. Why did he do that? For a purpose. Verse 4 is not less than verse 3. Verse 3 actually leads to verse 4. You'll hear me in a little bit. I'm going to say verse 4 is really what it's all about. Say it again. Verse 4 is really what it's all about. Why did Jesus the Son do that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Man, this Paul guy, he's really confused. He just told us one thing about the law, and then he comes over here and says something else. Now he seems like he's saying something else. Oh, now he's putting us back under the law. What is this guy doing? Verse 4. God sent his son, verse 4, to do what he did in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Would you notice three things with me in our text this morning? Three things. Number one, out of verse number one, it's pretty clear there's a new verdict there's a new verdict. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's a new verdict. You say, what's the original verdict? Some people don't believe what I'm about to say. And again, I've been there, humanly speaking. This, I'll just tell you, I, I don't know. I've been at times in my life where it's like, God, yes, we do bad things and we do wrong things. And 
you condemn us, but is an eternity in a lake of fire a fitting consequence to what we do in these 70, 80, 100, and at, at the longest, 110 years? Is that fitting? Let me tell you something. Biblically speaking, I don't understand it all, but I know this. God is justified, justified meaning he will be declared righteous when we get all the evidence and we see our lives and what God's declaration against mankind. God is justified when he condemns people, all people, to hell. God's justified when he says mankind has earned hell for eternity. Why? Book of Romans, we've already seen three reasons. Number one, you are linked to Adam's sin. That's enough. Number two, you have a sin nature. You have a sin nature. And number three, you commit acts of sin. You said, Jeff, you just said the same thing three times. No, I did not. I'm giving you three reasons God's justified when he condemns people to hell. Here they are. You were linked to Adam's sin. You have a sin nature. You like it. You're prone to it. Even if you don't do the act, having a sinful nature disqualifies you from heaven and makes you fit for hell for eternity. That's God's opinion. And his opinion is the one that's binding and matters. Mine isn't. And oh, by the way, we commit acts of sin. And we wallow in sin because of the sin nature which we inherited from being linked to Adam. So we make a quick conclusion. We take a note condemnation is God's guilty verdict. Mankind, you are guilty. All of mankind, your character, your conduct, your conversation. We saw that back in chapter number 3 when he just brought it to a conclusion. All of us, not one of us, goes toward the Lord. We've all turned aside. We've all gone astray. All of us, to our core, we're sinful. Condemnation, God's guilty verdict and the death penalty. Death. In the past, I've mentioned three kinds of death. I'm just curious. I'm going to treat this a little bit like a Wednesday night. Can anybody remember one of the three kinds of death that we've talked about? There is this death, there's that one, and there's that one. All three are in the Bible. There's physical death. I've said before, you don't know anyone 120 years old. We're having a funeral here on, on Tuesday for a man that was almost 90 years old. Lived a great life, but the bottom line, his soul and spirit separated from his body. Physical death. Can anybody think of another one? Spiritual death. Spiritual death is in this life because of our sin nature. Listen, guys, you you have to understand this. You were born under condemnation. You're born under... You say, but I hadn't even done anything yet. You were born under condemnation. Separated from God spiritually. Distance between you and Him. And eventually that leads to physical death. But what's the worst of all? The eternal, what the Bible calls second death, where God will judge those who failed to put their faith in Christ. The books will be opened. I hope this isn't you. You need to make sure. Is this me? The books will be opened. All that you've ever done, all the sin, that exposes your sin nature and your link to Adam's sin. That's going to come out. And then God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And the angels will bind you hand and foot. and You'll be cast into a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Eternally dying, but never dying. Eternally dying. That's condemnation. We're all born living under that. Say, Jeff, man, this is depressing. I thought, I was hoping when we got to chapter 8, we'd get into the good news. It sounds like a pretty promising text if you'll do a little better with it. I think there's some good news of the day. Yeah, the gospel. You know what the gospel is? Justification is the opposite of condemnation. Justification is where God says, now you started out guilty and banished to death, but justification says, God says, I declare you righteous. How do you do that? It's not so much God makes us righteous. Look, he undoes all our sin. No, I declare you righteous because you put your faith and trust in what my son did on the cross. That's justification. So as we begin chapter 8, there's a new verdict. Right here in our room right now, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm going to challenge your thinking this morning. I'm going to challenge you the next few weeks as we go through Romans 8. And there's some of you that your first thought would be, that's not me. That's somebody else. But actually, if you really peel it back and you think through all the different scenarios at your core, someone here, someone listen to this later, and many people, by the way, in Anderson County believe what I'm about to say. They think you can have, I have here a little, a little container, right? I keep some cough drops in there. If that container is not a container, it is eternal life. Some people think you can possess, have eternal life. But you can lose it before you die in this life. 
So you have eternal life. I'm not talking about everybody raises their hand at the end of the service. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Because everybody who raises their hand and says they're on the way to heaven is not on the way to heaven. Some know good and well they're not and they raise their hand as a lie. And others think they are, but they've, they've complicated salvation. But here's the thing. Some people believe, oh yeah, you can have eternal life, Jeff, but you sin. And eventually because of the sin, it's not that you misplace it like, oh no, I misplaced that container. What did I do? with the con- Where did I put my eternal life? No, that's not what happens, Jeff. No, no, no. They lose it. Here's what they really think happens. God declares them guilty. There's a guilty verdict born in this world. You understand? Under, understand? You're condemned toward death, but you put your faith in Christ, and then God declares you righteous. Uh-oh, but because of sin, God reverses the call. Now I'm condemning you again. That's what they think can happen because of sin. Is that possible? Is that possible? There are two great themes as we go into Romans 8 that we're going to see. Two great themes. They both start with the letter S. First one is sanctification. You're going to see that. You say, Jeff, by the way, I need to hit this. Will you give me a few seconds? Real simple. Sanctification only happens in a true Christian. And sanctification is where once I'm saved, from that moment until the time I die in this life, God does a work in me. He does the work where you and I become more and more like Christ. He is ridding our life of sin. We're never fully there, but that process is set in place where we are becoming more and more like Christ. Wednesday night, we're going to talk about different things that God uses to bring that to pass. You ought to come Wednesday night. Okay? The other one is security. Romans 8, what's it about? It's about sanctification, the work of God in our life to make us more like Christ, and it's about security. So, Jeff, can someone lose this eternal life when they have it? Is it possible? Can I tell you this? Because of how you receive eternal life, it is impossible to lose. Let me make this real clear. You didn't stop sinning when you got saved. I got saved in 1979. I didn't stop sinning. I wish I could tell you I have, but I haven't. Y'all know you didn't stop sinning, right? So the way you got saved, oh yeah, the way I earned God's grace is by stopping sinning. And so if I start sinning again, then I'll lose it. That's work salvation. It's nowhere in the Bible. You need to read Romans. Okay? So if we didn't earn it by ceasing from sin, then you don't lose it by committing acts of sin. Man, that preacher up there, he always sounds like he's promoting a sinful lifestyle. No, I'm not. Listen how we finish today. I'm just telling you, you didn't earn it by stopping sinning and you don't lose it by committing acts of sin. You just don't. It's impossible. I'm going to step away from Scripture and I'm going to ask three, and by the way, we're, we're going to hit this over and over and over. Romans 8, of the two, sanctification, security, if we had to cheat and say, man, one of those is primary, security seems to be the primary message of Romans 8. Oh yeah, we're becoming more and more like Christ. But if this says anything, this means we are secure. We don't lose our eternal life. My question is this. I'm thinking humanly. I'm stepping away from the scripture for a moment. So this isn't the strongest stance, but I'm going to offer it. By the way, this is for the person sitting here this morning saying, I just, I just cannot. I'm, I'm thinking of someone. Uh, and, and, or if I were to do this and this, then I know I still wouldn't go to heaven. My question is, when did you put your faith and trust in Christ? Oh, I did that back then. Well, then you won't lose it. Yeah, but if I do that and that, those two. Here's my questions. Three. Number one. Let me get them. I wrote them on the side. How much sin is enough to lose it? How much? I, I need to know. How much is enough? Second question is this, why isn't that detailed in the scripture? Why doesn't the Bible say, this much, this volume of sin, you lose it? Or these ones, you commit these ones, these are the big ones, you do these and you lose it. You say, well, yeah, that is kind of puzzling. How am I, that's a good question. And here's my third thought, if it's not detailed in the scripture, then who gets to decide? Your coffee partner? You did what? You need to. Or the preachers in Anderson County this morning that are going to try to get people to come forward and you need to come get saved again because you did that and that and they'll pull something out of a text. You didn't earn it by stopping sinning. You don't lose it by committing acts of sin. What we're talking about today is something really, really big that God has done, according to verse 3, that is permanent. Is Jeff promoting sin? No, he's not. He's promoting security. And we're going to talk about sanctification. Where does it all spring from? Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Man, we keep hitting that, don't we? 
I think it was back in chapter 5 we started noticing this and we hit it all through chapter 6. And you're like, Jeff, are you going to give us the illustration you've worn out about the bus? Uh, No. I'm going to use another one just like it, okay? All right, here's the new one. There's one of these uh, airplanes, it's one of the small engine types, and people jump out of it, crazy people jump out of it to skydive, right? So it's flying 5,000 feet up, right? So picture it, 5,000 feet up, it's going over Table Rock. There's one of these little glass jars, preserves, it's like the little, like you'd put preserves or jelly or something, not even as big as a mason jar, just a little one of those, a glass jar. And it's dropped out over Table Rock, and it falls 5,000 feet, and it's going to go into Table Rock. What's going to happen to that jar? right it's going to be destroyed what if there's a raw egg in the glass jar what's going to happen to the raw egg what's going to happen to the raw egg it's going to crack and explode and smash why because it's in the jar listen carefully say Jeff you've hit this I've got to hit it again there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus 1979, I put my faith. What is your time? I put my faith in Jesus. Something spiritual happened way over my head. But to simplify it, here's what happened. God, spiritually, at that moment, since I put my faith in Jesus, he placed me in Jesus. Like an egg is placed in a jar and and dropped. And so whatever happens to the jar happens to the egg. I was placed in Christ Jesus so that whatever, if this is you, insert your name, you were placed in Jesus. What happened to him? Whatever happens to him happens to you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. This really happened, historical event. Without being idolatrous. Don't be idolatrous and, and form a, you know, some figure in your mind you're going to worship. Picture, he died on a cross. Are you in him? If you're in him, you died. And they take him down, as we sung about a while ago, and they placed him in a tomb. You, if you're in Christ were placed in a tomb. You really died. You're really placed in a tomb. But three days later, Jesus really comes back to life. You really died. Really are buried. Say, yeah, but if we sin, don't we have to die? Yeah, I did. I died in Christ. I was buried in Christ. And then I'm raised to new life in Christ. And then Jesus is ascended. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you think Jeff's here. And realistically, Jeff is here. But in a much greater way, Jeff literally is right now in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And there's the Father. And I'm in Christ. I literally could pray this way, turning this way. Father, I'm in Christ here. I, need to, I would like to speak with you. Usually I'm praying this way. But every now and then, Father, because I'm in Christ. Are you in Christ? That's my question. Are you in Christ? That's the question. Because that's where no condemnation. You say, Jeff, come on, dude. I'm in the church. Of course I'm in Christ. I'm in the church building this morning. I didn't ask that. You say, no, 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 Jeff. Remember you saw me earlier. I'm in the Sunday school. Great. I didn't ask if you were in Sunday school. No, 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 Jeff. Dude, dude, dude. I'm in one of the ministry teams. Awesome. No, 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 Jeff, I'm in one of the home groups. We have home groups, or we have a home group. I'm in one of those, and I'm in the ministry team. I'm in Sunday school, and I'm in the church. Great, are you? Listen, I'm not joking. Are you? Do you know for sure? You, you, are you sure? You can't miss this. The address of being in Christ is where there's no condemnation. Write this down. I, I, I didn't have room for the word most. All we have is this. If the Supreme Court, but really we could say if the most Supreme Court, because I don't want you to think about our little United States Supreme Court, they're weak and they fluctuate. But if the most Supreme Court in the universe declares us innocent, nobody can say I'm guilty. No one. There's a new verdict about us. Why? Number two, because there's a new law. Over us. Brand new verdict. No condemnation for them. Why? Because there's a new law over us. Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I want to read it again. Why? Why is there no condemnation? Here's why. There's a new law. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law. There's the word in Christ Jesus again. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This law has set you free from that law. 
Not on the screen, but would you look with your eyes. Look at verse 3 because you're going to see the word law again in verse 3 and 4. Watch it. Just look with your eyes. For God has done what the law could not do. Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. You see that? I think four times in our text today the word law is used. Three of the four, it's talking about God's law, the Old Testament law that the Holy Spirit authored as he gave those laws Listen, it's prohibitions, don't do that. Commands, do these things. And he gives them to Moses and they're written down. The law of God, the law of God. But then now we have this law of the Spirit. Law of the Spirit. So the word law is used differently one of the times in verse 2 than the other three times it's used in our text. I wrote myself a little side note. What is law? Law is prohibition. Law is command. Law, catch this. It's a king's decree. The king has said something. That's law. I'm going to give you another way. Law can also be a principle, a proven principle. There is a law of gravity. Raise your hand if you're right now experiencing the law of gravity. Raise your hand if you're experiencing, you're like Jeff, of course. If there was no law of gravity, we'd be floating around. The law of gravity holds every single human being down. Does it? Does it? You say, yes, everyone is earthbound because of the law. Well, there are. Do you know we got a a pilot here this morning, and David's not able to be with us, I don't think. A couple of guys, and there may be more than that. You have your pilot's license. I'm looking at Jerry back there. Jerry, you know a lot, and I know nothing about the laws of aerodynamics. Do y'all know that the law of gravity is real and it's constant? But if there's another law is employed, the law of aerodynamics, human beings can actually fly. So it overpowers the law of gravity. And there's this... So it's a principle, it's a proven principle. And then there's this king's decree. What I'm getting ready to tell you is originally God gives these prohibitions and commands and they're binding, but then there's this new law. This new law. Who gives it? Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life. I find this amazing. The Holy Spirit's mentioned two times in the first seven chapters and one verse of chapter 8. I looked it up the other day. 187 verses, two times specifically, alluded to other times, two times the Holy Spirit specifically named in 187 verses, but from verse 2 to verse 27, in the next 26 verses, 20 times. So we go from two, 187 verses, 26 verses, 20 times. Here's, what, here's what's going to happen. How is sanctification possible? But it's us, and we love sin. How is security possible? The Holy Spirit's going to do what we could never do. He's the secret. Holy Spirit seals and sanctifies and secures us. So he does that? Yeah. I'm going to make two factual statements and I'm going to make a conclusion. In fact, you're going to help me make the conclusion. Fact, factual statement number one. You ready? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You say, what's sovereign mean? What he says goes. Factual statement number two. Factual statement. The Holy Spirit is God. Again, God is sovereign. Number two, the Holy Spirit is God. Put it together, what's my conclusion? The Holy Spirit is sovereign. So when the Holy Spirit makes this declaration about sin, and He does, then when He says something else, you have to bring it into account. How does this affect the first thing He says? Go back. I want you to see with your eyes. Look at the first word of verse 2. Hey, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we know? Verse 2. For. For. Because. Is Paul here today? Paul Snellgrove. I don't know if he's having to work. Paul's not here. He and I were having this conversation about a month ago, Wednesday night. Paul, Paul loves to have these theological discussions. So I'm going to ask you what we talked about. You ready? How do we really know that there is and will not be any condemnation? How do we really know? Come on. Are you sure? Are you guys sure? I'm asking you personally. If I could, I'd literally come and talk. Starting with Jarvis, move to Stephanie. Okay, we go to Bill, Bonnie, just right on down. If I were to come ask you personally, how do you know there will be no condemnation? Do you know what a lot of people might say? Well, I don't know that you can really know until we die. We'll find out when we die. I say we can know. I'm asking. Anybody want to be bold enough to say? 
The reason we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ is because faith. I heard several. What'd you say? Uh, Christ's resurrection. He says it. You know why there will? You say, Jeff, how do we like know for sure? That right there. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is important. You say, Jeff, this is super simple. I know. There will be, Jeff Bartlett will not experience condemnation even though I may feel condemned in my spirit. I will never face condemnation. I will not have a guilty verdict. I will not pay for my sins in the next life. I'll get to go to heaven. Why? Because that right there promises. Just as sure as I know there will be condemnation for some. By the way, if we get there and the majority of people, if I'm reading this correctly and kind of evaluating, if the majority of people are not condemned to hell, then this book's a lie and we need to go home. But if those who are in Christ are not escaped and relieved from condemnation, then this book's a lie. I know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God's Word says there is none. How did that happen? Write this down. Newer law outranks previous law. That's how I got my second ticket. got my first ticket when I was 16 because I wasn't paying attention. Then it went from 55 down to 45. Second one was it was, you know, Deanna and I were heading to Philadelphia and we're on uh, I-40 or 70 or whatever it is. I don't know. We're heading east out of Asheville. Just cruising along. Man, it was 65. And man, if it says 65, that translates what they really mean is 75, right? (laughs) That's what they really mean. So here I am, 18 years old, just cruising cruising along. My mom's Thunderbird. We're having a good time, listening to music. Woo, Saturday morning's great. But I didn't notice that they had these flags. Sure enough, they had these red flags, but I didn't see them. 65 is going down to 55 in two miles, and in one mile, and in half a mile, and I just kept on chucking 74, thinking I'm fine. Nobody's going to get me nine mile an hour. There's like a nine mile an hour buffer. That's understood. Dude, he pulls me over, and he gives me a ticket. Why? Because it dropped to 55. New law outranks previous law. Yeah, but I thought it was 65. Yeah, that changed. Barney Fife. Or Roscoe P. Coltrane pulled one of the switcheroos on me and knew there's a new thing. Oh, man, I had to pay for it. Why? New law outranks previous law. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. The previous law concerning sin and death said that the soul that sins... Say, Jeff, that's all of us by what? Romans 1 through 3. The soul that sins shall die. But God has a new command. The Holy Spirit's God. So the Old Testament says the soul that sins shall die. And along comes the Holy Spirit and says that's absolutely true and that is binding. But I have another law. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ, you are moved into Christ and those people shall live. Watch this. The Holy Spirit, the King, God declares and says, live. And I will live. Will you live? I will live. Why? Because he makes a law. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ shall live. Just like those who reject Christ, they shall die. These shall live. This new law amends, overpowers, overturns the previous law. That's what he's talking about. For the law, how come there's no condemnation? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. This law outranks, overpowers, it's later, it follows that one. It's more powerful than that one. That's what happens. Listen, Christian... I could tell you. God's final binding word on you, if you're in Christ, is that you shall live. That should encourage you now. I've got to get practical for a second. Somebody hears this and say, all right, Jeff. Question. And this is the big question. What about sin? Right. We're going to talk about how Jesus dealt with sin. No, 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 no. What about after you get saved? Catch this. What about new sin? New sin. Yeah. That presents a problem. I'm going to tell you two things I have found. They're in the Scripture, but two things I have found, even if the Scripture didn't say it, and one thing the Bible is very clear about. Catch what I'm saying. New sin, after you're a Christian, for me that was 1979, new sin does two things. It breaks my fellowship with God, and it affects my joy. New sin comes into my life. Here I am a Christian, commit new sin. Outwardly, inwardly, it affects my joy and it does affect my fellowship with God. But biblically, here's what I learned. Here's what I trust. It never affects my relationship with God. That never changes. 
That's secure. That is set. So I got to ask you. I'm talking to two groups of people this morning. Here's group number one. You ready? First person here this morning, you're living under a guilty conscience. You're reading verse one and it says, yeah, that's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But this morning you are beat down. You know why? Because your conscience knows about something you've done. I mean, let's just make it real. Somebody here today, you really are a Christian on your way to heaven, but you feel beat up, dirty, beat down, weak. Why? Because something you did a year ago. A year ago. Something you did a month ago. Some of you, somebody in this room or who's going to listen to this, this describes you. Something you did when you were a kid, you're still dragging that around. It is pulling you down. Or something that was done to you, for some reason you feel guilty for it and you can't get out from under it and you have no victory in your Christian life. Did you read verse 1 and 2? The Bible says from God's perspective there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. He switched the law you're going to be judged by. God says, I'm not judging you for that. You're not condemned. Why are you walking around? You say, well, Jeff, I'm just having a problem. Can we have 1 John? Can we put 1 John 1.9? This is a famous verse. Look at that. You're like, Jeff, I know 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, this is even for us as a Christian. Hey, my relationship's never affected by new sin, but my fellowship gets broken, and I'm just sitting this time a broken fellowship. Jeff, I've tried 1 John 1.9 a hundred times. It just doesn't take. It just doesn't take. I just described somebody. Say, no, Jeff, it wasn't a month ago. It was two or three days ago. And I've tried 1 John 1, 9, but I'm just beat down. Hey, I'm going to give you a second person here today. You ready? It's not so much your guilty conscience, but your Christian life has no victory because someone else won't let you forget what you did in your past. They won't let you forget Again, I want to ask you, did you read verse 1 and 2? Say, Jeff, that's it. I've gotten things right between me and the Lord. But they won't let me move on. They just keep hovering it over me. Beat me up. If you fit into either one of those categories, like, Jeff, I've tried 1 John 1, 9. Or they won't let me get out from under what I've done. I want to ask you a quick question. Did you really claim 1 John 1, 9 in humility? Listen, I'm not talking about this where you go wallowing sin. Hey, Lord, you said if I confess, I'm acknowledging, yeah, you've shown me my sin. I did it. We're good, right? I ain't talking about that. I mean in humility and in faith. God, you said if, this is your word, you're bound by it. If we confess, Lord, I'm agreeing with you. I want to see it from your perspective. Lord, you convicted me. This is not a light thing. I don't ever by your grace want to do this again. If we confess our sins, you are faithful. I mean, by faith, you are faithful and you're just to forgive us. And you're going to cleanse me from all that unrighteousness. Have you claimed it by faith? You say, Jeff, yes, I have. They won't let me. Here's my second question. Did you let them know? Say, I got it right with God. Wonderful. Did your actions hurt somebody directly? If so, it's wonderful that you got over here and got a private time and everything's good between you and God. Did you let them know? And I mean be specific. i got to tell you, I've done this and I know it hurts you. I've got it right with the Lord and I understand it's going to maybe take you some time to figure that out. But if they're a Christian, it will take them longer than it took God. But give them some time. They are going to relieve you of that. I don't want anybody in here just walking around beat down from what they did a year ago, guys. I want you free and light. Because that's what Romans 8 is pointing to where we need to live. Don't lose the battle. But if you got things right with the Lord, praise the Lord. But did you get specific? Get it right? Did you make amends? Say, I'm struggling with that. Then you need to go to Celebrate Recovery. Because they hit that all the time. Did you make amends? Did you make that list? Who you've offended? Did you get specific? Did you talk to them? They're only human. Thirdly. Verse 3 and 4. Since there's a new verdict, because we're under a new law, there's a new walk. There's a new walk. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. We've hit this so much, I'm going to just gloss quickly. What could the law not do? The law couldn't save us. The law can't make us holy. I can't get saved by keeping the law. And I can't, even after I'm a Christian, I can't become holy by keeping the law. That is not the recipe. 
You say, then what hope is there? God has done. It is finished. God has done. If you want to write this down, here's what's clear in verse number 3. God is the hero of the grand story. He's the hero of the grand story. He's done what we couldn't do. We messed it up. God comes to the rescue. He does what we couldn't do. You know this? You did not make yourself a Christian. God makes Christians. God makes Christians in eternity. God makes Christians now. We don't make ourselves Christians. God makes us Christians. Say, Jeff, how did he do this? Something in verse 3, something in verse 4. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. That's our fault. It's not the law's fault. But he's done what the law couldn't do. How? Two things. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Number one, what God do? God sent his son to save us. Please don't miss this. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is not saying Jesus became sinful flesh. It just means Jesus, and I know most of you know this, but in case you don't, Jesus became a real human being, fully man. Fully man. He's a man. In fact, I thought of this, if he lived now in the United States instead of then in Palestine and he's dressed like us, he would be sitting right here among you and you wouldn't know who he was. John, his cousin, is baptizing people at the Jordan River and there's many, many people and he says to the, to the crowd, there's one among you whose shoe latchet, I'm not worthy to stoop down and unlatch or to latch back. There's one, this one's so great. And I, I can picture them going, well, who, who in the world is it? And one among them standing there knowing I almost picture Jesus going, and John going, there's one among you. There's a woman at the well. She's sitting there. She's coming to get, get water, and Jesus, the man, starts speaking to her. She has no clue who she's talking to. You say, who's she talking to? Someone who looks just like any normal Jew, but there's a big difference. He has no sin. Why? Because let's, let's go in order. He's the eternal Son of God who was anointed to be the Messiah Christ who 2,000 years ago became Jesus, the Nazarene human. Perfect. Why? The end of verse 3. And for sin. Say, right, Jesus came to live a perfect life. Oh yeah, he was sinless on the inside. He looked the same on the outside, but on the inside he's specially sinless. Yes, so he came to live a sinless life so we can go to heaven. Part of it, but listen, his sinless life alone sends no one to heaven. That just condemns us more. Well, great, he lived a sinless life, makes us look really bad, that doesn't help us. But the word for sin, if you were to look up any writer on this, if they're worth two cents, they will tell you this, that for sin means for a sin offering. For a sin offering. That's exactly what that phrase means. So what does God do to take care of our sin problem? He says, I've done what you could never do. I sent my son to save you by coming, actual human being, so he could die. And he became a human being without any sin, so he could die on a cross. He took your sin. Look at Isaiah. We'll just have it on the screen. I'll read it quickly. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to jump into the text. Verse number 3. Look at this text. You're going to keep seeing this. He, we. He, our. Look at the, the contrast. He was despised. This is 700 years before it happened. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne, carried our griefs. That's not fair. Surely he has carried, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Our transgressions he punished. Here's what God says. Because of what you did, mankind, you're going to pay for it. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He keeps getting the raw end of the deal. We get the great end of the deal. With his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That means toward our own sin. We love sin. All of us went that way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. A sin offering. Why did he come to die on a cross? In Romans chapter 8, verse number 4, say, what did God do? 
He not only sent his son to save us, he sent his spirit to sanctify us. He sent his spirit. A while ago I said this is not less than. In fact, this is, I believe, the main thing. I'll say this. In fact, can we just go ahead and have the next note up for time's sake? I want you to get this. It's a long note. Look at that. Verse 3. Verse 3 talks about Jesus' sinless life and his sacrificial death. Why does that happen? Jesus fulfills the law's demands. The law demands somebody has to pay for sin. And it has to be someone sinless. The law requires perfection. Jesus is perfection. Somebody has to pay for sin and die. Jesus dies. So verse 3 is all about Jesus' sinless life and sacrificial death. Fulfilling the law's demands. Catch this preposition. For us. Him coming for us. But verse 4 is the tricky one. Verse 4 speaks of the Holy Spirit fulfilling the righteousness of the law in us. If your mind is straying, I want to invite you right now and say, Lord, would you please show me what this means? This is important. Verse 4. Why did he save us? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what's verse 4 about? Coupled with verse 3, we make this conclusion. Look at that. Both our salvation and our sanctification are very dear to God. Christian, hear that. Yes, God cares about my salvation. God cares about your sanctification as well. I'm going to make a statement that I I softened it. I'm not going to make it as strong as I was going to make it. I I could have made it stronger and I believe the stronger statement, but I don't want to stir up trouble. You ready? Ready? Here comes my statement, and I'll back it up with a verse. God sparing your hell-bound soul is a wonderful part of God's work. It's a wonderful part. Like, yeah, that's what it's about. Oh, yeah, it's a wonderful part. I almost used the word byproduct. I could probably argue that. Byproduct, nothing. That's the main thing. No. His main purpose is a holy people to serve him. And God saving your hell-bound soul is a nice part of what God's doing. See, verse 3 is about God doing something for us. Verse, verse 4 is about what God does in us. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He does what we couldn't do. He kept the law for us. But verse number 4 says the Holy Spirit's going to help us keep the law by what He does in us. And we're like, is that important? It's the main thing, guys. It's the main thing. So if you heard the first thing you wrote this, this morning and said, well, this preacher's pretty soft on sin, I guess God doesn't really care. Because if even the weakest saint escapes the penalty of sin, then everything's okay as long as I sin. Hey, as long as I'm in, that's good. If I'm in Christ and go to heaven, it doesn't really matter. You're missing the whole point of everything. Verse number four says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Ephesians chapter one. You need to study this. I'm going to just throw it out. Chapter one, verse four. Even as he chose us, In Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So that's when this happened. Before the world was even formed, He already chose us. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Chapter 2. You say, yes, this is what God did for us. Chapter number 2, we love these first two verses. It is great. Well, I just lost my place. That's great. Here we are. Look at verse 2. Verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are His. For we. So it's by grace. He gives it away. We receive it by faith. Why? For we are His workmanship. Let me stop and make a statement. Salvation is by works and for works. All right, Jeff's really lost it. Some of you guys have been in my class before. Like, I've heard him teach Bible class a hundred, literally, 360 times. He really has lost it today. He just said salvation is by works and for works. Yeah, salvation is by God's work for his work in us and through us. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you go back very quickly? Chapter Romans 8, verse 4. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's why he did it, that the righteous requirement of the law. If you were here the last few weeks, you're probably thinking, okay, did, law, did, Paul, follow, did Paul just put us back under the law? Is that what just happened? Have we been hearing how we can't keep the law and us and the law brings about sin? As soon as God says don't do something, that makes us want to do it. And it exposes these whole other categories of sin that we didn't even know were sinful. Even coveting sin. I can't stop coveting. Come on, the law doesn't help me. I'm married to the law and we keep having these offspring of sin. I'm the sin problem. And now you're telling me when we get saved, Jeff, you just told us last week, we're not saved to be put back under the law. Sounds like Paul's putting us back under the law. No, he's not. Write this down. The law does not become the believer's new focus. Say, what's the focus? Walking in the Spirit. The law is not the new believer's focus. I don't want anybody walking out of here saying, boy, verse 4 is so clear. He saved us in verse 4, so he'll sanctify. I've saved us in verse 3, so he sanctifies us in verse 4 in order that the righteous requirement, it's the requirement of the law, and it's going to be fulfilled in us. My job is to read the law with intent of finding it and make a good little checklist and start checking it off. That's my job as a Christian is to get under the law again and start performing the law. You've missed chapter 6, 7, and now you're off on the wrong foot of chapter 8. Halverson helps us. Halverson offers the following. He says, the secret of living the Christian life is not self-improvement by righteous discipline and self-effort. The secret is to walk after the Spirit. You say, I want to live the Christian life. Walk after the Spirit. Right now, you're tempted to let your mind stray. Walk after the Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to think, feel, do? Got it. Listen. Oh, oh, that's what, yeah, he wants you to listen. Oh, stay in the Word. Focus. Okay. Walk in the Spirit. Don't study the law. You say, so we don't want to have anything to do with the law. No, the law is great. It serves a great purpose. We use it, and the Holy Spirit uses that, but we're not married to it and addicted to it like a checklist. Our main thing is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Since he wrote the law, he will always lead you in accordance with the law. He will fulfill the law in us. The last phrase of verse 4 sets the stage for next week. Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Who walk not according to the flesh. i close with this. If the Lord allows me here another 20 years, who knows? The Lord lets me be here another 20 years. Here's what some people, some pastor's version of being a pastor is, right? You got a group of people on the stage, and that's your Christians. That's your Christians in your church. Here's reality. Here's what they think. Here's reality. You got some, in fact, most, walk in the flesh. And you got some walk in the spirit. Your job as the pastor is to try to get more that are over here, move them over here. And if you do that over the next 20 years, you did a good job, and you'll hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. Listen carefully. At the end of verse 4, Paul is not giving us another command. Don't walk in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. That's not what he's saying here. Paul is not trying to say some Christians are here and a few are over here and you need to try to move over here and that's our goal. That is not what he's saying. You say, what's he saying? He's describing a fact, a clear sign. How do you know someone's a Christian? Here's how you know someone's a Christian. They walk in the Spirit. Say, what? Christians walk in the Spirit. Do they walk in the Spirit at all times? You've got to come back next week to see that. You say, no, no, no. Some of us walk in the flesh and some walk in the Spirit. Look down at verse 9. We might get there next week. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You say, yeah, that's the problem, Jeff. Some Christians don't have the Spirit yet. Uh -uh -uh. Anyone, this is the Bible, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. You know what that says? All Christians have the Spirit you, however, are not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, if you don't have Him, then you're not His. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. You don't walk in the flesh. We need to explain that next week. Your last note this morning is this. As a Christian, you will still struggle with sin. But equally true, being defeated by sin is not normal because the Holy Spirit in us fights against sin. The Holy Spirit constantly Say, so what makes us different? Your focus, walk in the Spirit, and as you focus, walk in the Spirit, He fights against sin. 
Before you're saved, you just give in to sin. Now that you're saved, there is a struggle and you don't win every battle, but you do win the war and you win many battles because the Holy Spirit is there with you ensuring that you will not wallow in sin. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Well, I've got to start where I was at in the middle. I just have to go back to the middle of the message and ask you this question. Every person, yes or no, are you in Christ? Do you know you're in Christ? Christian, are you sure? What I'm, what I'm asking now is too important to fluff over. Ask yourself. Always a good time. If I was sitting where you were, I would ask myself. If there was a preacher up here who was challenging me and he had just preached a Bible message, I would say, all right, let's double check. Let's check for the thousandth time. Am I in Christ? Do I have a Bible reason why I think I'm in Christ? There may be someone here this morning, you're very aware of your sin, and that makes you feel very guilty. In fact, this is you. You feel so guilty. You know all the things you've done, and in your mind you think, God could never forgive someone like me. God could never forgive someone like me. If that's you, I want to encourage you to do two things. Say, if I were to ask God to forgive me, he just, he just doesn't forgive people who's done what I've done. Two things I want to challenge you. Number one, stop doubting God. And number two, same thing, worded differently. You ready? Stop doubting God. Listen, stop calling God a liar. Stop calling God a liar. You'll not see it. I'm going to read a verse. It's John chapter 5. John 5 verse 24. Jesus said the following. Say, people like me don't get to go to heaven. Listen to what Jesus said. Truly, truly. Hey, he's talking to you right now. Jesus. Jesus who's God. Jesus who's sovereign. Jesus who cannot lie is saying this. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever hears my word. Say, Jeff, what word? This one right here is all you need. All you need is John 5, 24. You can become a Christian. Just John 5, 24. Jesus talking to you says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. That's what we've been talking about, no condemnation. Jesus says, if you hear his words and believe him, the Father who sent him, you have eternal life. And then Jesus says, he, the one who does that, does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, the default is death. We're born in death. Jesus says, if you hear him, and believe the promise of the Father, then you pass from death to life. Say, so Jeff, what do I need to do? do? Do that. Do it now. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Do it now. Don't wait on Jeff to lead you in a prayer. You don't need me. You don't need me. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer today. Hey, I mean it. Do it now. Do it right now. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. God the Father said, I sent my son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do it right now. Don't wait on me. You need him, not me. Believe it. Talk to him. All right, God, I'm taking you up on this. I receive it. I receive it right now. God, I, I am a sinner but you conquered my sin. You sent your son and you sent your spirit. I don't understand it all, but I want it. Do it. Now my challenge for a Christian just before we sing is, not is there, but which one of you is living under a cloud of guilt today? Not if, who? Don't raise your hand. Who's living under a cloud of guilt? Say, Jeff, I've attempted 1 John 1, 9, 100 times. But you haven't done it one time. 
tried it a hundred, but you haven't done it one time. I'm going to promise you what I'm about to say is true. If you ever really take that sin and you see it from God's perspective and you feel that conviction and that drives you to the Lord to confess, God, I know I'm on my way to heaven. This is not to get saved. God, I'm confessing that sin by faith, knowing that you do forgive and you're just in doing it. Thank you for forgiving me. I'm not even asking you to forgive. I'm claiming your forgiveness, Lord, as I see my sin. Hey, if you've not done that, do it right now. And if this is you, you say, Jeff, I've done it, but man, I'm that earlier person. Somebody won't let me get out from under my sin. Did you tell them? It may be somebody needs to go home or make a phone call. Say, hey, mom. Hey, dad. Hey, buddy. Hey, honey. I need, I need to tell you, I, I got something right with God, but I, I sure hurt you when I did it. And I've just been assuming you're going to be okay with it, knowing that I got it right with God. There's no wonder. You're just human. You never heard from my lips what I did. And I want to tell you, God's breaking my heart over it because I hurt you and I am so sorry. And by God's grace, I'm never going to do it again. I want you walking out light and free this morning as we sing. Would you stand? Mercy is falling, falling. Lift up your hands, receive it.